Today on the Tappy Show, Bud Light is pulled from both 7-Eleven and Walmart shelves. Vivek doing pull-ups for the army gets 1 million views in one day. Gavin Newsom cries when a judge blocks his law to destroy the First and Second Amendment. California is suing oil companies, thereby biting the hand that actually feeds. Brian Cranston is complaining about the strike still. Bud Light touchdown bribe tweet actually fails. Cracker Barrel, well, they have a demographic issue. Amazon Prime Day is set for October 10th. DirecTV and Nexstar come to an agreement to end the blackout. UAW president attacks Elon foolishly calling him greedy. And gas generators, well, they're being recalled due to burns and possibly bursting into flames, unfortunately. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder at least twice a day. Guy says he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me. That's a joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're giving away a free flamethrower with every September purchase. Yes, it can be mounted to an AR-15, as all things should be able to. Click the website, toppingtechnologies.com, to learn a little bit more. Lastly, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, so if you can click that button, we'd greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Cracker Barrel. Well, they have a little bit of a demographic issue. The customers, well, they're uh, they're kind of uh, dying. You, kind of a big kind of a big deal. Well, unless you're you know starting political um, parties, if you die, you can still vote for them apparently. But in the private real you know private sector, the real world. Yes, once your customers unfortunately decease, they can no longer purchase your product. Now, the good news is Cracker Barrel has a new CEO coming on board. It looks like Julie Feles Mazzino. She's going to be coming on track to CEO about November, so merely weeks away, so it seems. And she's coming from Taco Bell, which, if you can actually convince customers to buy Taco Bell, that is an accomplishment in and of itself. I believe I know three people who have purchased Taco Bell while not being copiously inebriated there are apparently some people who still purchase the product although I may have to do a, I might have to do a fact check on that I might have to look him in the eye and be like be honest with me were you really sober when you went to Taco Bell really but nevertheless that is the rumor that people still go there while they're not inebriated so if that person can accomplish that at Taco Bell I assume they could turn this restaurant around as well now it looks like the issue is about 43% of Cracker Barrel's guests are 55 and older so, kind of like Cadillac back in the 90s, they had a pretty big issue in terms of their demographics as well. Pretty similar. A lot of their customers were very older, and they weren't exactly going to come by and purchase another vehicle from General Motors, who owns Cadillac. And pejoratively at the time, the people would joke around saying, you know, the most expensive, the most, the most expensive bar none casket that you buy is a Cadillac or a Buick, because it was subsequently... You know, the joke being that's one of the last things they purchased before they unfortunately decease. Now, GM, surprisingly, and I don't say this too often, they were able to accomplish a goal and they did bring down the average age for the Cadillac purchaser as well as the Buick purchaser audience by about 10 years with a couple marketing initiatives, which in terms of bringing down the average age of a product purchaser, that is a huge delta going from 50s, I believe actually with Cadillac is more in the 60s to the 50s. It might not sound a lot, anecdotally, but in terms of moving the demographics of a product, that is astonishingly successful. Partially because they reinvented the vehicles in terms of they designed them a hell of a lot better, made it a little more angular. They had a whole arts and some fancy pontificate word that they chose to sound fancy. 
a whole initiative to redesign the vehicles, make them look a little bit more modern, and a not insignificant amount of capital was invested into basically, not subsidizing, a nice way of saying is marketing, The Matrix. So if you ever go back and watch the old Matrix movies, can't help but notice a lot of General Motors products. A lot of Cadillacs in there. One of the most successful films I could think of, actually, even rare enough, stands the test of time. So, next time I watch The Matrix, just count how many GM products are in there. That was really when Cadillac was trying to push that demographic down and reach a younger audience, which I would say that contributed to part of their success. Now, the issue with Cracker Barrel is they're worried some of the updates might alienate their current customers. Kind of had this issue with Harley-Davidson as well. Same issue, a lot of older buyers. They're not attracting the youth as well as they could be. Although, in GM's credit, and this rest, oh, I'm pretty sure with this restaurant's credit, they weren't as foolish as Harley-Davidson partnering with Bud Light, a business blunder in and of itself. Now, with Cracker Barrel, it looks like they're struggling on all accounts. So their stock is down about one-third in the past six months, falling from $113.55 per share to now around $69.43 per share. And the market cap has been eviscerated to now being worth about $1.54 billion. And it'll be interesting to see some of the comments when I was looking at researching this, specifically on LinkedIn, some were saying, well, maybe they need to remove the locations. And, you know, maybe they need to add things to the menu. Well, it's going to be hard to change the locations because part of the charm of Cracker Barrel is they're not always, but historically, if you watch any documentary about the company, they're more on the outskirts of society, some might say, more by the highways. I mean, it's more of an experience. It's not going to be in the middle of downtown Chicago. That also would be prudent because you have to really jack up your insurance rates because, of course, crime is exponentially higher in Chicago than anywhere else. Though, it, they're doing exactly what they want. They voted for it. Now, it'll be interesting to see. They, restaurant chain has noted they've had a little success bringing in millennials by adding beer, wine, and appetizer. And in, I don't know how much I believe this last thing that they noticed. They said, oh yeah, we increased our sales to the millennials by adding QR codes, which I don't know. I feel like those have kind of been played out in terms of convenience of, it used to be a convenience or some might argue is you know, more sanitary. You just scan a QR code to your phone and then you get the menu on there. I mean, from a cybersecurity perspective, from a cybersecurity perspective, that's the dumbest thing you could do because you have no idea what that QR code is. You're trusting a restaurant to have properly done, not, a, not just a restaurant to do something properly in tech, which depending on what the restaurant's key proficiencies are, precarious to think they could do that, as well as what if a malicious actor, you know, an unethical hacker, what if they just printed out a QR code and put it in the restaurant's table? That's certainly not inconceivable these days. So personally, Call me old-fashioned, but I prefer a little paper menu that I can actually hold touch and use. Now, interestingly enough, all these things, they very well might just alienate the current buyers of Cracker Barrel. So, I don't know what kind of nostalgia they need to play on or what kind of initiatives they have thinking that they're going to be doing or what kind of brand... It would certainly be an imprudent decision for them to hire someone like... Who's that moron? Uh, Nicki Minaj or one of those rappers. You see other restaurants doing that, but that's because they're... It's a younger audience. It's kind of the culture of the restaurants. What would be a good brand ambassador, a good marketing initiative for Cracker Barrel? Maybe a country musician like Oliver and Anthony? That'd be good, but it's going to cost you an arm and a leg, or perhaps a barrel, more metaphorically speaking. Let me know in the comments, what could be done to resolve this issue? Because it doesn't sound like they want to go mainstream, quote-unquote, but, I mean... They're no longer, you know, mom-pop shop. They're owned by their subsidiary. They're owned by Darden, which is one of the largest holding companies on the planet for restaurants, specifically. 
I believe it's Darden because they also own a couple of others. And that stock specifically, the Cracker Barrel portfolio, they're the worst performing restaurant. So needless to say, they need to make some changes. Will they make them in time or how they will? It'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Amazon Prime Day set for October 10th and 11th. And interestingly enough, no one remembers Optimus Prime. The true meaning of the holiday. He sacrificed his life for you. That proud semi-truck, he gave it all for the AllSpark and Sam Witwicky and cliche third thing. But Amazon also has a couple issues. It looks like they can't even make up their mind on how to call it Prime Day. So apparently it's been called everything from Prime Early Access Sale, which again, they're a trillion, multi-trillion dollar company by now. That is perhaps, the, I can't think of a worse name in terms of just zero creativity. Uh, it's hard to comprehend they actually paid an employee to come up with that title. They also had, I mean, Prime Big Deal Days, which does get the point across, I suppose, but also, of course, just calls, just seems cumbersome and, you know, not attractive in any way. So why don't they just specifically just call all these special days Amazon Prime Days? I don't know. They probably should. And it'll be interesting to see what the discounts are really like. Now, Amazon is claiming they're going to have big discounts on everything from brands like Sony, iRobot, Dyson, Jabra, and, and quote, 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 and much, much more, which... I always debate how much of the savings are really there these days. One of the fun things you can do is actually just add crap to your Amazon wish list, and be prudent to use it on a separate separate program. You know, just Word document, Excel sheet, or even a piece of paper. Just keep track of the price that your product is throughout the year. I can't help but notice personally, the price seems to precipitously increase the weeks before Amazon Prime weeks. So then you think you're getting a deal, but really, are you? In all cases, I would say not so much. It's, it's one of those age things I think I used to do back in college when I had Prime. Because they used to be free or highly, heavily discounted for college students. I actually had books on there. Well, they still do, but I would utilize it for books back in the day and for specifically for college. But it's one of those things where, are the deals really that good? Maybe it's nostalgia, but there used to be a lot more hype in my mind when I talked to friends and anecdotally, you know, talked to other folks. Now, I mean... I feel like the deals aren't so good. And also, they've been jacking up the price of Prime. Now it's $14.99 per month or $139, which, again, sales tax is going to be about $150 a year. That's like, in America, that's like a tank of gas, thanks to the government, you know, messing up the oil industry. But it's one of those things where I am proud to be one of the, part of the 1%, perhaps 1% of Americans who do not have Prime because it is, again, it's a luxury, not a necessity. And I always say, if there's anything I do need to get on there, again, it's not life or death. You could wait a couple days. Delayed gratification is a rare thing in the United States. It's been lost, unfortunately. Someone needs to help bring it back in style. But nevertheless, I suspect Amazon Prime Day will be successful as always. You'll have Americans swipe the credit cards precipitously adding to the credit card debt, which I believe for the first time in history just passed a trillion dollars about four or five weeks ago when we reported on it. But you got to buy your, what is Amazon known for? Your iRobot. Or your Sony products? Seems silly to me, but that's 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 just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but forty-year hyperinflation got to be three cents. Should be four, but I'm gener just a generous man, so three cents it is. Other interesting business news: You had Directv and Nexstar coming to an agreement to end a seventy-five day blackout. 
Now it looks like the carrier dispute left millions unable to access their important next star large array of channels. Oh no, dear God, what, what do they do? They might have to read a book or heaven forbid, go outside and do something with their lives. But I digress, I know Americans love the cable box and the you know, whatever you like to call the news these days. Although I'd say it's not as invaluable as this awesome show, of course. But it's one of those interesting things where the deal would restore literally 170 Nexstar-owned stations across the country, as well as the cable news network News Nation, which that's a big, big logo, big name. A lot of people tune into it, and it looks like coming after only days, the owners agreed to temporarily restore the signals to Directv subscriptions, and the second week of the NFL sports ball is kicking it off. So, it looks like when it comes to a lot of these carrier disputes, which is unfortunate, it's usually the customer who always suffers because inevitably they come close to the contract. They try to negotiate, you know, what rates they want to do for which different programs they want to sell, what have you. And I don't know if they're just not the best negotiators or if they think it's a good prudent business decision, but I'm reading more and more about these blackouts where the customers, they, they literally just black out the channel. So the customer's paying for DirecTV, but they're not getting the actual channel of Nexstar. So I don't see how it's attractive in terms of customer relations. Now, granted, cable companies historically, there's been a little bit of monopolistic opportunities where you just can only get one cable provider where you live, coincidentally. They just don't compete, oddly enough. Now, it looks like they continue to say, while most of Nexstar stations will be covered under the new multi-year agreement, DirecTV said 27 stations controlled by Nexstar, but owned by another company, will not fall under the umbrella. So, it'll be interesting to see how, how long is this really relevant as more and more people start to move away from the traditional cable box, which Again, depending on where you live, your geographic location, your internet eh, may or may not be the best. So I understand there's certainly a use case for it, but throughout the years, as the UK, the number of use cases where it makes sense just decreases less and less and less. I wonder how these companies are going to pivot. And of course, I know DirecTV is also one of the largest satellite providers ever. So I guess they're a little bit better perhaps in rural countries or rather rural areas of the country more accurately. but. It'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. Do you think these types of contractual agreements or these disputes will ever decrease? Maybe it's the anecdotal evidence. I just noticed the past couple episodes, it seems like we're talking about more and more, where the agreement will come to an end and the customers just kind of out, you know, their channels are gone. And interestingly enough, I doubt their cable bill went down by even a penny. But it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Other interesting business news, you have the UAW boss saying that Workers shouldn't accept lower wages, so, quote, quote, greedy people like Elon Musk can build more rocket ships. Ah, uh, comparing apples to oranges, perhaps the core competency of the president of the UAW, Sean Fain. I can't think of a more, well, we'll, we'll dive into this Fortune article, but perhaps it just highlights his utter ignorance of how business really works. And actually, just conceptually, if you think about it, He's critiquing, well, hilariously enough, when he talks about profits, the cost of labor for the UAW is more expensive for the big three, so GM, Ford, and Chrysler, than Tesla. Partially because Tesla workers are incentivized to work hard because they're given stock in many cases. So they actually have an incentive to work like hell, as opposed to the traditional model with the union where you are rewarded based on tenure. And in some cases, depending on the contract that you have, there are sometimes bonuses for number of units produced and what have you. Interestingly enough, I haven't noticed any bonuses for liability for the big three, but right now, and again, there's a big strike going on. So 
the cost for labor is going to go up. It's just a question of how much they're going to go up unless the big three can somehow figure out a way to eliminate the UAW. I don't know how they would do that, but if they want to be globally competitive, I don't know how they're going to do it. Because right now, before any, again, they're going to strike for about a couple of days now. The cost is already, I believe, like $20 more per hour. And G the UAW wants more. So I can't fathom making a company more uncompetitive. So Tesla, they have a lower cost, but they incentivize their employees. But he's talking about building rockets and Elon being greedy. Well, unlike Sean Fain, who gets a salary, I believe, of $185,000 per year. Well, Elon traditionally takes like a dollar salary or like $35,000 per year, depending on the year. He's the antithesis of the UAE unions. Elon will take no salary, basically, and risk it all for stock, which is a big gamble because the company can go to zero, especially with SpaceX. No one thought that was going to work. That was a, because traditionally, you look at the most successful American company to attempt it last, that's Beale Aerospace, headquartered out of uh, Dallas, Texas, or actually, no, Plano, Texas. Well, Beale Bank, but same, same founder. But it's one of those instances where that could have gone to zero. All odds were against that company. And... Unlike some people, he actually made the sacrifice and worked and grinded, did whatever it took, built the team, and they achieved success in aerospace. The first profitable aerospace venture. That's incredibly rare. Now, I know Sean Fain, perhaps in terms of research, he might not realize this. SpaceX is a different company than Tesla. Tesla is a different company, you see. Tesla's publicly traded. Now, he's... So is he, is he insinuating that he's improperly using Tesla's funds for SpaceX or something around that? But it's also one of the things where logic and some people just kind of like oil and water. And again, apples, oranges. If he wanted to make an appropriate comparison, he would maybe perhaps compare Tesla to the UAW, not SpaceX, which again is an entirely separate company. But unlike the big three, they're infinitely successful, like Tesla. But I partially digress. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Bud Light pulled from both Walmart and 7-Eleven in lieu of new products. Wow. Who would have thought the Bud Light business blunder of the century would go so far? Well, a couple of us, actually, and I applaud those who believe in the strike, or rather, in this case, the boycott, to continue their efforts. Interestingly enough, I think there's going to be even more pushback when Bill Gates came in and purchased about $95 million of Bud Light shares, well, Anna Bush and Bev shares. So, if you're not a fan of Bill Gates, you have an extra incentive to boycott the business. Now, it looks like, historically, just go to any Walmart, Bud Light seemingly had, not half the shelf space, but a lot of the shelf space including the refrigerated section. And same with 7-Eleven. They always had a massive presence there. And you look at Shark Tank, a lot of these entrepreneurial shows, it's a longstanding, not joke, basically just a fact, the most valuable real estate on the planet is inside a Walmart. Putting a product there sometimes takes years. There are, there are entrepreneurs who spend their whole life fighting to get on a Walmart shelf. It's so difficult. But... It's worth the effort of sweating it out and grinding it out to get on that shelf because you have guaranteed some of the highest foot traffic in the grocery industry. Some of the highest spend in the grocery industry. They're going to push massive volumes for your business you can't fathom. So it's certainly something, again, people strive their whole life just to get in Walmart. And 
to be losing and decreasing shelf space is even worse. Now, interestingly enough, they specified it's going to be the refrigerator space at both Walmart and 7-Eleven. That's the most expensive space in those stores. That's even more hyper-competitive. Look at any Shark Tank episode where they talk about a refrigerator or a frozen food item. That is the hardest thing to get in a Walmart, basically. Because, again, not only is that space more expensive because they have to pay for the refrigeration units, the electricity, but just by its very nature of having the infrastructure, they're not usually adding aisles of additionally refrigerators. They might change to the whole store, but those are pretty much, they stay put. They don't really vary the quantity of capacity too often. So to lose the most valuable space, that's terrible. Now, interestingly enough, in terms of the volume of their sales, you have a third market, a third party marketing company called Beer Market Analyst, A plus marketing, you know exactly what they do. They know that 80% of beer sales occur at places like retailers and gas stations, whereas where the consumers take the product home, about 20% of their sales will come from, think of bars, restaurants, ballparks, places where you go and actually consume the product on-prem or on-premise. And it looks like another former Anheuser-Busch and Bev executive, Anthony Fredrickson said, quote, during a busy shopping period on a Friday or Saturday night, if you don't have the beer cold on the shelf, customers pick up something else, unquote. So there's gonna be less and less Bud Light that's actually cold or ready to go. Well, some might debate it's never ready to go since it's gonna taste pretty piss poor no matter how it's prepared. But nevertheless, those who enjoy, more accurately, those who tolerate the taste of Bud Light, if they wanna drink it quick and cold, they're gonna look for where it's refrigerated. And again, we've seen this with, again, the sales decrease is about 26 to 30% week over week compared to the same fiscal period weeks last year. So it's very easy to substitute it for another brand, especially because in this beer instance, the competition is right next to the cases. They're all right there. You don't have to make a separate trip to a different store. It is so convenient, which is another reason the business should have never done anything controversial in the first place. They should have been much more conservative, well, in many of their regards, additionally in their marketing as well. Don't do anything too risky. Be conservative in terms of just stick to what they used to be do, known for. Sponsor concerts, foot, sports balls games. Um, what else do they? Yeah, it's kind of the cliche things they do. Rodeos, maybe. But no, they decided to change everything because of the brainchild Alyssa Hydrashild, who will never be forgotten. She is very proud of the fact, I think she took down her LinkedIn, but she is the first woman in InBev Marketing, something like that. VP of Marketing. Yeah. She is the first, and we will never forget her. I will give her that. That is a fact. Now, interestingly enough, you have the competition. You have Constellation Brands. The CEO, Bill Newlands, telling investors on an earning call that the retail displays were changing in ways that, quote, work to our advantage, unquote. So a little hint that it sounds like they're going to be gaining some of those display units, as well as some of those, I was going to say frozen. That would be, they don't have beer slurries yet, or popsicles. That might be another business idea. But in the refrigerated section, it sounds like they're going to be increasing their footprint or their square footage in there as well. I can't help but think this business blunder is only getting started. It's sports ball season. They're supposed to be exponentially increasing their sales. I can't help but think, I mean, it's about 30% decrease on average. Will it hit 35%, 40%? How bad is it going to get throughout the sports ball season as traditionally when people buy the product, now they're choosing the competition more and more. 
I can't help but think that trend's gonna increase rather than decrease. Other interesting business news, you have a gentleman by the name of Brian Cranston. He's, he's sad because, I didn't know if you knew this because I certainly barely knew, but you actually have the Hollywood actors, the actresses, and the writers all on strike. And it's kind, of, it's kind of hilarious. It's kind of like a federal government shutdown. Kind of shows you how little you need them in your life because I can't help but think, I have not noticed a single difference in my life since Hollywood's gone on strike. Partially because I make a, I really don't consume any of the garbage that they produce. I think they might make one good movie a year, perhaps. That might be generous in that assessment. But I'm, I'm feeling a little positive today. But have you noticed the strike going on? I certainly haven't. But it looks like the actors, they're sad because they're not making enough money. And it's even more hilarious. Brian Cranston, he's the guy who, he's from Malcolm in the Middle. And the, uh, the drug, the show that, the show that, Actually, the premise of the show almost seemed to be glorifying the manufacture of illicit substances, Breaking Bad. An interesting concept that turned out, to be, turned out to be viral. Everyone turned into that show. Subsequently, I think I've seen one or two highlights on the YouTube. But nevertheless, this is uh, Brian Clanston on the demands of the, the striking actors, actresses, and the writers. And right, writresses, perhaps. That might be a new word, going up, doing a little Shakespeare up in here, making new words up. To pony up. It, it might be tough for people to understand. Breaking Bad is airing on Netflix and actors aren't getting paid for it. Literally, figuratively, uh, you are getting paid, but the scale is so far below what we're used to. Oh. There used to be several different revenue streams for a working actor oh. to coddle together to actually make a living, and you needed all of them to be able to do that. Well, th those have been whisked away. Now, uh, the streaming market, we know what it is, and we know that all the legacy studios have switched their entire business model to be a leader in the streaming wars. Uh, damn it. Forgot the world's smallest violin. I meant to buy one on the eBay or somewhere, but oh, I forgot to pick up the world's smallest violin. I apologize. I'm trying to increase the production value of this show. Ooh, dang it. Now, this also shows that ignorance, and I'm only halfway through this clip. I know he's insufferable to say the least, but this also shows the ignorance of not just, I'm seeing more and more ignorance, not just from the UAW perspective in terms of people who are supporting United Auto Workers with a strike. In this same instance, they're not taking into account the whole picture or the big picture, some might say. Now, in the case of streaming, they're losing money. Look at Disney. Disney Plus has not made a profit yet. They're still bleeding money. All these companies are competing fiercely and only more recently have some of them started to make a profit. And it's also an interesting thing where he just said, oh yeah, we, we're still getting paid. We have all these new outlets. Uh-huh. It's going to be hard for Mr. Brian Cranston. And it gets more hilarious, ironic, and ignorant. New York Times did an expose on the, um, the rents in Los Angeles oh. from 2000 to 2023. They showed that rents in Los Angeles went up 35% on average. <laughs> At the same time, the... And who controls the politics of Los Angeles? Oh yes, the people, the Hollywood, unanimously and without a hesitation, support. One of the biggest issues in San Francisco is supply and demand. 
for years, they will not allow new permits to make new apartments, new buildings. So you have unprecedented demand. Well, it used to be demand for homes and apartments, but the supply was not changing. Even San Diego, which is much more, politically speaking, more middle, oddly enough, but actually no, not oddly enough, it's no coincidence. They allow a lot more construction, thereby keeping up the really pretty good amount of supply. So the prices of things don't exponentially increase. So again, you did this to yourself, Brian Cranston, but let's let him keep attempting to talk. An increase in pay went up only 6%. So it doesn't take a mathematician to realize that inflation has had a tremendous effect on the working actor. <laughs> oh, and who did you vote for, Brian Cranston? Who did the Hollywood unions unanimously give political donations to? Who was the one that passed the Inflation Reduction Act that, like most political bills, actually had the antithesis of the result of the name? Which is why every time you hear a bill that sounds good, be very skeptical because it's usually BS beyond all belief. They're just trying to use emotional rhetoric and happy sunshine and smiles to fool ignorant people, which unfortunately works all throughout America. I partially, partially blame the union-controlled schools, but I partially digress. It's on Netflix, you don't even know how many people are watching because Netflix does not share the data. That is one of the big sticking points for the writers and the actors let you know because the ratings used to be the way that that the right. networks would let uh, people know you, that it was all public, and that that information is now being guarded. Uh, That's true. In, in an unbelievable way. Yes. I know. Yeah, obviously. That is the most proprietary, important data from this company's perspective. They certainly don't want the competition getting leaked that data as well. Now, interestingly enough, I was not alone in my assessment of this in this particular instance, with me in the comments roasting him eviscerating him or as the youth might say ratioing him immediately now one of the best comments is from steven zoltan saying quote if a client pays me to build a house and three years later they sell that house i'm not in line for payment again i was paid for my skills after that it's out of my control seems like a pretty good comparison now that person got 215 likes you also have somebody named rod me hickman saying quote Welcome to being a working person, unquote. That person got 27 likes and two laughs. So quite a few people found it quite entertaining. And it also just shows you the hilarious disconnect between Hollywood and the rest of America, where, again, they have all... Brian Cranston is rich beyond anyone's fathoms, and he's still complaining it's not enough, which is a theme you usually see with unions, I would say. But Hollywood, they're going to use AI. I can't help but think they're not going to acquiesce to that demand. That's one of the biggest sticking points for this whole strike, which again, 18 people have noticed. Well, I guess we're talking about yeah, 19 people, maybe. They have, I forgot, they have, you know, some of them have relatives that work in Hollywood, so they probably tell each other's relatives. But it's just one of those instances where AI is perfect for Hollywood. Most of the crap they push out is nothing more than a copy paste of the previous work. Look at the Fast and Furious films. Universal Studios could save a lot of money, fire those actors and actresses and writers right now, have the computer do it. A Fast and Furious movie, at this point, is nothing more than fast cars, rudimentary plot about there's a cliche bad guy who's just bad because he's bad. You have some bad gadgets now, a preposterous plot like going to space. Then you have to pay Vin Diesel to say, family. Which, I know, probably sounds the same as Sylvester Stallone, but 
The attempt was made by me, nevertheless. Take those five things. I just wrote the next three Fast and Furious films. Not to say I'm talentless, but that act right there didn't involve much skill. A lot of these films in Hollywood are just a copy-paste, which is why they're scared to death that AI will appropriately, most likely, take over a lot of the traditional roles in Hollywood. Let me know, how many real, original, great ideas come from Hollywood? Another great example is Disney. Which, again, Disney's losing money on streaming. They're public, they're, they've been pretty transparent. They've let us know. They're still not breaking even. Their goal is to maybe break even by 2024. It's not going to happen. They're, they're going to be advertising it for $1.99. And half the comments when you do read it, and Billy speaking on Facebook, they're all roasting the company, saying they don't want it, but usually due to politics. Now, with Disney, they're the prime example of a company that will benefit from AI and just automation in general as well most of the stuff they're doing right now is just a remake. Same with Marvel, which they own. Marvel, you have a hero, a cliche bad guy, big explosions, no one really dies. Repeat. So, I don't know the actual figures that they are making right now or percentages, but I would venture to say they should be perhaps pretty grateful for what they have now because the justification for their existence tomorrow? I don't know... How much is... I don't know how much it's really there. Let me know in the comments. Of all the industries we talk about on the show, automotive, aerospace, restaurants, retail, it seems like Hollywood is one of the prime examples where they will benefit from AI. The only interesting question will be, how much will they have to give up to embrace it? Because right now the union's saying, or the you know actors, actresses, and writers, they're saying, that's a condition. This is a non-negotiable. You cannot use AI for the scripts or for us. That's a big sticking point. Let me know. Do you think they'll acquiesce? Will the studios say, oh yeah, yeah, we, we, we'd much rather pay Vin Diesel millions of dollars to say two lines. Really? So I would say in terms of the outlook of who's going to win, if you want to look at it as a win scenario, it seems like Hollywood has a lot of leverage. These legacy actors and actresses and writers Again, there are some creative writers. There are some really great pieces of work and some would say pieces of art. But a lot of this stuff is kind of the point where I think AI is primed to take over. But let me know in the comments. I'd be interested to see what you have to say. Other interesting cultural news. You have Bud Light touchdown bribe tweet on Sunday. It fails again for the most part. Now, it looks like Bud Light, as they continue to attempt to dig that hole it, a good metaphor is they're trying to get out of a hole that they dug, but their idea is to keep digging deeper, which technically could work, but you have to go all the way down in the earth, and you have to go around the core, then you keep going. I mean, conceivably, you'd have to reinforce the tunnel, obviously, something I think all men kind of think about is, you know, digging tunnels and, you know, like the treasure. But... I can only guess that's Bud Light's idea for marketing because every time I see a new update, whether it's a YouTube video or a tweet, or in this case, you want to call it an X post, it's not resolving the issue. It's just a cliche copy paste. Another great job to be replaced by AI because if it could, if a person is doing this at Bud Light, maybe they have the personality of a computer, but it seems to be the last couple of posts are just copy paste, copy paste, copy paste. And again, it's just trying to buy likeness without addressing the issue, which 
I think an appropriate metaphor, perhaps, for the situation would be a bad, an unloyal husband or unloyal wife or a bad business partner. They made a mistake and they come home and they want to give you flowers or jewelry or something. They're not apologizing. They're not acknowledging anything happened. They're not, but they're giving a gift, which is useless. It's nothing more than a, an untasteful bribe. A taste as bad as Bud Light, some might say. And they're not gaining any more customers doing this. They're just gaining people who want free crap, which there's no limit to the number of Americans like free stuff. Don't get me wrong. The, if a, fr a free promo can be effective. I've seen it before. One of the best examples in history being AOL. Their company was built on the market. I forget her name, but she's a marketing genius. They had that free AOL subscription on the floppy disk. Her shoestring budget and that idea changed the world. It got millions of people to sign up for AOL and revolutionized the whole industry. It can be done. And that was a good example of a freebie or a promo. That built customer loyalty, got people hooked on the subscription service. There's a, that was a great, brilliant idea. Kind of like the topping technologies, Flamethrower, which you can mount to an AR-15 and comes free with every September purchase, toppingtechnologies.com for additional details. But in terms of this promo, they're just saying, oh yeah, free beer. So it's a picture of a sports ball with the Bud Light, oh no, thankfully the Bud Light logo is not bastardizing that. It's the NFL logo on the sports ball, which makes sense. And then you have the Bud Light can with the NFL logo burned into the top of the can. And it says, on the can it says, the official beer sponsor of the National Football League. Which again, means nothing because it just means they have money. I can't, I could, it blows my mind in America. I know a lot of people worship sports balls, teams, and celebrities. I would love to know the statistical percentage of how many people change their decisions in life based on a brand endorsement or a company endorsement. It's one of those things where more often than not, and not every time, but it seems a lot of the time it's just who has the most money. Which is why I'm always skeptical when I hear of this technology company won the contract for a stadium. You know, if you see the logo on the stadium, that usually means they paid for it. But going back to the specific advertisement from Bud Light, they have some text before this rudimentary flyer. Now they say, quote, the touchdowns are flowing and so is the beer money. Reply, hashtag easy to celebrate and hashtag sweepstakes to turn every TD into a chance to win. Now, interestingly enough, they only even use periods. They can't even get grammar right. How pathetic is that? Now, in terms of the advertising itself, it just repeats that. And they tweeted this. In terms of statistics, within two days, you got 92,000 views, which is pretty good. But I can't help but notice pretty much all of it is nothing more than a copy-paste. And they actually, in terms of censorship, they're burying these things. So an overwhelming majority of the comments are the hashtag replies, which have to be automated. If you look at these people's profiles, or maybe bots, all of these people who are responding to the sweepstakes, while a majority of them do have the Twitter blue, which means they can afford $8 a month, not to brag, but I also have Twitter blue. At, yeah, it is. The at sign N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. Or the topping show, if you want to see more of the show specifically. Now, most of them do have the Twitter, little, little Twitter, Twitter blue logo. So they can, like me, have the luxury of affording $8 a month. But if you click on their logos, or rather you click on their profile, you go to their profile, it's just 
overwhelming retweets. And even more, it's just overwhelming retweets of sweepstakes. There has to be a third party automation tool unless these people are unemployed and have nothing better to do than just reply to every single sweepstakes. Which again, if you're an investor Bud Light, you should be pissed because this is costing the company real money. They're giving away this beer. And yet, it's not. I would argue it's not building brand loyalty. Look at the people who are responding and overwhelmingly, they just respond to every freebie. Which, in that case, really doesn't build loyalty to the brand. They just want free stuff. And there's no contingency like, if you win, take a pick. Like, a more effective approach, just self-serving from a Bud Light perspective, if they win, have it so they, have to, they should have like a picture contest. Uh, granted, it'd be embarrassing because I don't know who the hell would want to actually have a picture of themselves with a Bud Light these days. But have a contest where take a picture with you enjoying a Bud Light. Whoever has the most creative picture wins a case this crap. That would show real, well, alleged real people drinking Bud Light. I was about, I was about to say enjoying, but I don't want to lie. They'd probably be tolerating Bud Light or the taste. And that would be a more creative and more effective marketing campaign. They're getting people who like the product. They're rewarding what would be considered a fan. And they're getting some grassroots advertising, which is a very effective way to do increased business sales. In this case, they're just giving away free beer to whoever. And more often than not, they're just people who want free stuff. Now, of the very few, and unfortunately, I couldn't see. I'd use my alternative Twitter handle because, and when I say alternative, I actually use the show, at Nick or at the Topping Show, because they blocked me on Twitter. They blocked the at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-G. So I had the audacity to respond to one of their tweets saying, thanks for the reminder, I just bought some Yangling. I have pictures of the Yangling in my podcast interview studio. So they're censoring everyone. And again, that what I said wasn't malicious. I wasn't saying Bud Light sucks. It does. But I wasn't saying anything pejorative in that tweet. All I said was, thanks for the reminder, here's what I got. And again, the picture was just literally a case of Yangling and Yangling Light by my boom arm and a carbon fiber American flag. Now, granted, that flag probably offends the bargaining people at Bud Light these days, because they certainly aren't American, many would argue. But of the few real responses to this tweet, and there are only a couple, they were, of course, ratioed. So we have a good response from our consistent correspondent, Mr. Rich Mooney. Now, he says a few things. He has some text, and he has a graphic. So he says, quote, Bud Light can tweet only about sweepstakes these days while blocking anyone who dares to ask when they'll address the marketing fiasco directly to their customers. There's no improvement in their sales, though. And then he actually has a graphic in which it says, a quote from the street, saying, quote, Bud Light will lose shelf space because it is not sold well. That may make it harder, if not impossible, for the company to reclaim its top sales spot, unquote. And it looks like Rich got 627 views and 17 likes. And he's very, very right in that assessment. It's one of those issues where not only are they losing shelf space, but how are they going to reclaim that sales volume and the sales figures in terms of dollar amounts as well? They just made that goal is so much more hard to achieve because again, when it comes to these types of products, shelf key is shelf space is key, rather. It's not like an iPhone or a, a Samsung Galaxy where they're researching the newest smartphone and you might buy one every three to four years like I do. I know some people buy them like they're you know disposable and they buy them every year, but that's a luxury I'm not, it doesn't appeal to me. But it's one of those instances where people go about researching it, they take time, they might shop around, 
depending on the manufacturer of the smartphone, there may or may not be price limits in terms of how much they're allowed to advertise for discounts. When it comes to beer, it's much more of a highly frequency bought item. And it's one of those instances where, kind of like a candy bar, some Americans, if they see it, they'll buy it, which is why they have those products at the checkout at, most, at every grocery store. The impulse purchase is key. And with beer, it's the same thing. If you don't see it, you're not gonna buy it. And in this case, again, we're still waiting for the specific figures. I would love to know the actual percentage of shelf space that they're losing. Cause again, it's gonna be pretty significant. And anecdotally speaking, every time I go to the big box mart, there's only a couple areas of the refrigerated beer section where there's products that are consistently moving. Yangling, always. I haven't been able to find I've not been able to find a single pack of Yangling light in the bottles for like three, four weeks now. The only thing I've seen recently, there's one case of Yangling in the uh, regular Yangling in the can. So there's a case, a canned case of Yangling. Everything else was sold out when I went to the grocery store. Interestingly enough, you also have Coors Light, Miller Light. They had pretty good sales in terms of you look at the shelf, those products about, you know, 30, 40%, they don't have it. And when you think of, well, well, what if they get stocked at different times? Interestingly enough, a lot of these distributors, they represent multiple brands too. So you have the same you have the same distributor stocking both of the products. So it's not as if product A is being stocked on a Wednesday and this is product B on a Thursday. So this is a much more appropriate comparison as well in terms of the timing and the frequency. You're seeing both these products being served at the, serviced at the same time. And, but like consistently, there might be one or two cases that are gone, but more often than not, their stuff is not moving. Which again, that's the most expensive part of the grocery store is the refrigerated and frozen food section. And it takes some people years to get in there. Then they're losing the shelf space. I can't imagine how long it's gonna to take to actually get it back, if ever. Now, there was one person who did respond to Rich's tweet saying, quote, there's no improvements to your tweets, Rich. Go back to your mom's basement and drink your hillbilly beer. Laffy face, clown face. Now, interestingly enough, this person had a pride flag with a light logo on it. And in terms of the ratio, this person was, of course, ratioed. This person got one like. So Rich got 17 likes. And this person got one like. Now, it looks like this person also only got 25 views. Rich also responded saying, quote, you sound but hurt that people don't support your desire for biological men in women's sports and locker rooms or schools pushing age inappropriate messages on gender and sexuality. That's too bad, but we will continue standing up to woke corporations that push woke agenda, unquote. And the rest of the responses, and I'm scrolling far as advertisements, of course, but there's no actual original thoughts. Perhaps a good metaphor for the people working at Bud Light. All 18 people left. I'm kidding. I know they have a couple more than that, but yeah, times are not good at Bud Light. I can't suspect it's probably not going to get better anytime soon. But as, as I always say, we shall see. Now, going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Gavin Newsom crying after a judge protects the Second Amendment and the First Amendment from Gavin's unconstitutional, morally vacuous law. And I can't imagine, it's also hilariously ironic, the AR-15, the most popular rifle in the United States by a number of units sold, but the AR-15, 
which for the record stands for Armored Light Rifle, or America's Rifle, if you're feeling a little bit more patriotic. It's all about banning California, where they actually have to bastardize the product, you only have 10 rounds. Granted, the government could have unlimited, because, you know, governments never do bad things, so. Yeah. But it's one of those instances where it was invented by Armor Light Corporation in California. I'll never get over the hilarious irony that the AR-15 was invented in California. And is all but banned in that state. Hilarious and ironic, of course. Now, specifically, a California ban on marketing to kids blocked by an appeals court. Now, this is coming from an article by Reuters, and it is hilarious how Gavin... Again, these courts are in California. One of the bluest states in the Union. Or one of the most democratic or left states in the Union. Whatever vernacular you prefer. Now, I'll actually start with Gavin's tweet when he responded to this ruling. Now, for the record, of course, he, like most hypocritic, hypocritical politicians, they can have a whole army protecting them. But they want to disarm you and I. Which I find morally vacuous and disgusting, to say the least. Now, Gavin said, quote, A panel of right-wing judges just blocked out a bill that stopped gun manufacturers from marketing weapons of war to kids. This is pure insanity. Guns are now the leading cause of death for kids? And we are... And what are we doing? Allowing folks to promote Junior AR-15 with sick cartoons like the one below, unquote. Another morally disgusting thing and lie from Gavin Newsom, which you see with many politicians, it's not the leading cause of death for kids. Well, I should clarify, by their manipulated statistics, it is. Gavin Newsom, and again, when Democrats are using the statistic where they talk about, oh yes, yeah, it's the biggest threat, it's a leading cause of death for kids. They define a kid as up to 19 years old. No one conceivably believes that person to be a kid. But unless you ask them for the data and say, where do you get that statistic from? They will not, well, actually, they would lie to you if they were face-to-face. -face. You have to go and actually look at the data yourself. And again, no one's going to want to say this out loud. An overwhelming majority of those fatalities by firearms are the older, so, you know, 16 through 19, and they're gang-related. And they're in cities controlled by these people. The best example in history being Chicago. Chicago has the most restrictive gut, some of the most restrictive gun laws, bar none. They have for decades. Has the crime rates changed one iota? No, because they have a culture problem and a political problem, but unfortunately they're getting what they vote for. Now, specifically going back to the California issue, he also said, weapons of war. There's no one taking a semi-auto AR-15 to war. And the term assault rifle, another thing that was used is actually a, now to the anti-gunners and the people who don't like the Bill of Rights, it was in their minds a brilliant move and politically speaking on the, you know, moves on a political chessboard, it was prudent because Americans are not, they don't tend to look into things enough, they get scared by words. So they chose a bunch of words, they thought, what's the scariest word? They did polls for years to try to find what word is the scariest that we can use to manipulate the American public. They thought, well, what about Remington bolt action? We'll call it your grandpa's hunting rifle with bolt action. What if we called it a sniper rifle? They did polls, get time and time again. No one's really scared of that term. However, the term assault rifle, ignorant Americans are very scared by that term. In reality, it's just a black rifle, which is mechanically speaking the same that we've had for over 100 years, semi-automatic. But again, manipulation, it's kind of what you expect. Now, 
Again, he's saying far right. Isn't San Francisco the leftist city in the United States? Again, another city that's actually has an unlimited amount of crime, it seems, and has every business leaving because of their stances on crime and their laws that encourage crime, including a law that made it not a felony to steal up to $950, which people voted for. Now, it looks like, again, the actual article from Reuters say, quote, a panel of San Francisco-based 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said hunting and sporting shooting groups were likely to prevail on claims that the law violates their free speech rights under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and blocked it pending the outcome of the case. The course reversed a January ruling by a federal judge in Sacramento who said that the law properly regulated commercial speech and the groups were unlikely to succeed in the challenge. The Ninth Circuit continued to say that because California allows minors to possess and use guns under supervision, the state cannot justify the ban as a way to curb the unlawful use of firearms. Quote, California's law does not significantly advance its purported goals and it more extensive than necessary. Unquote. This is from Circuit Judge Kenneth Lee in a writing for the court. Although Gavin doesn't care, they never care about the efficiencies of these laws. I can't help but think pessimistically, most of these issues that we debate about frequently on the show, they'll never really be solved because then the politicians could not use them to gather more votes and gather more funds and more fundraising. We've been talking about the same issues for decades. Can't help but notice that a lot of similarities in the topics that are covered that are controversially charged. Let me know in the comments. Do you think that's the real deal of why these things tend not to get resolved? Now, they continue to say the Ninth Circuit, which has nearly 30 active judges, it considered one to be one of the most liberal U.S. appeals courts. But the three judges on Wednesday's panel was made up of entirely appointees of Republican presidents. All right, so there's a little truth in there, perhaps. But of course, it's always called far right if they're Republican appointees. Although I'd also say most Republicans these days are rhinos, which a rhino is a pejorative term for Republican in name only. Now, interestingly enough, they say, oh, let's see here. Chuck Michael, a lawyer for the group and president of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. They have that? Uh, it blows my mind. They have actually have pro-gun people in California. It is one of the biggest uphill battles of the I could possibly fathom. Now, he continues to say, quote, this is another example of the legislative overreach and the politicians' willingness to trample on the constitutional rights. And you also have Gavin, they continue to say in the article, California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, signed the law into, or the measure into law last year, citing the need for new legislation as, quote, as the Supreme Court rolls back uh, important gun safety protections. Ridiculous. Man, Newsom office cited a gun manufacturer of We One Tactical Advertising, meant to be advertising why they need to have the laws banned. Which, again, if you're a responsible parent, I don't see anything wrong about introducing your children firearms at an appropriate age, especially teaching them the four rules of gun safety. You would think Republicans and Democrats would agree that education would be a key to decreasing accidental discharges and accidental, accidental jet deaths by firearms, but even that they don't want taught in the schools. They want the most morally disgusting things to be taught in schools, but not proper safety of how to handle a firearm, which they used to teach. Yet another reason not to send your kid to public school, but I moderately digress. It'll be interesting to see the ruling. They want to say the ruling, which said any restrictions on gun ownership must fall within the nation's, quote, historic tradition of firearm regulation, 
has led the courts to strike down another gun control law. And again, it'll be interesting to see Cal what kind of tricks California pulls out of their pulls out of the bag of tricks. Because it seems like they're always trying to push some law, whether it's micro stamping, which again was ineffective, uncost effective, and just a burden on manufacturers. What will it take for them to just ban guns completely? New Mexico recently tried to do this when the governor literally said, oh yeah, I know this isn't you know constitutional, it'll probably be overturned, but we're going to ban all um, private ownership of firearms in public. So if, even if you have a license for a concealed carry or open carry permit, and they actually, have, I believe they have constitutional carry as well, yeah, you can't defend yourself if you're out for a coffee. And the, the person even said, oh yeah, we know the bad guys won't follow this law. So what's the point? Literally just to disarm law-abiding American citizens. So it'll be interesting to see what will Newsom do next in his crusade to trample on the Bill of Rights. Can't help but think he's not stopping anytime soon. Other interesting political news you have Vivek doing chin-ups with an RB recruiter and getting 1 million views in one day. Now it looks like he actually starts above with the video text saying, quote, missed my workout today, but the U.S. Army recruiter at Clay County, Iowa Fair is keeping me honest now, unquote. It looks like he's doing some chin-ups for about 30 seconds. Let's see what he can do. Ready? Now, unfortunately, he did not suit up as every man should always suit up, but he does have a collar, albeit his pillow is untucked, but I'll allow it. Ten, eleven, twelve. Pretty good, and he ended it with shaking the army recruiter's hand. Now, this also is a good illustration because it's a great contrast to Washington, D.C. right now, where the average age of someone in Washington, D.C. is old as dirt. And interestingly enough, the two people who are the forerunners right now for the presidential election in 2024 is Joe Biden and Donald Trump. They're both older now than, what was it? There's a statistic that came out that said, they're older now to become president than when Bill Clinton is now. And Bill Clinton was president, I think, when he was in his 40s or something like that. They are getting so old. You have Diane Feinstein came and stand up. She is the embodiment of she is as wise as she is beautiful as he tries to trample on the Bill of Rights every single day. She literally is carted around, cannot remember where she was, cannot remember what she voted on. And it's not speculation. She's been in front of reporters saying, did I vote on that? And when reporters asked her, hey, Diane Feinstein, you were out of the office for three months for health reasons. How was your leave of absence? Do you feel better? And she goes, I, I, she's literally said, I wasn't gone. Diane Feinstein can no longer make decisions for herself. She lost her power of attorney. Her daughter now has that. So her daughter's going to be making all the, she's making all the calls and all the shots for Diane's life. So Diane Feinstein, she can make decisions for 400, about 400 million Americans, but she can't make decisions for herself. So this would be, I would love to see a chin-up contest for, from all the politicians. I would love to see Mitch McConnell try to do one chin-up. One. Do we need to treat this like the military where we actually have, actually have some modicum of physical fitness to be in the office? 
You see this on the left and the right. They're morbidly out of shape. And most of them are ancient. So, interestingly enough, a lot of the comments, they're pretty supportive of this. Probably because it's just refreshing to see someone running for president who can actually do more than just walk three feet. I know the bar to actually be in politics these days is like so low, it's basically underground in terms of physical fitness and mental capacity as well. So I think perhaps that's why this is trending so much. Now, it looks like someone by the name of Matt, Matt Foxhunter said, quote, Vivek doing pull-ups should be an ad on everyone's timeline right now. Impressive, unquote. Gotten 221 likes out of 8,548 views. And you have a couple other ones. Oh, yeah, another one says, Ryan Woliski says, quote, I'd like to see Biden do that, unquote. And he got 70 likes out of 7,052 views. Which, yes, I would love to... That would be hilarious. A chin-up contest between Biden and Trump. God, that would be a very short contest. I'm trying to, trying to calculate how many they can get collectively. Like, how many chin-ups could they do if their life depended on it? I don't know. I, I, I would fathom to say not too many. So interestingly enough, with the... Oh yeah, another one by the name of Robert Johnson saying, quote, I'd like to see any other candidate running for president do that, unquote. And he got 108 likes, have 4,084 views. Now let me know in the comments. I mean, Biden's going to be, what is it, the oldest ever? He already is the oldest ever, but by the time he's going for re-election, 81? And again, there are some 81-year-old folks who are sharp as attack. I think perhaps the most mentally articulate person I, I don't know personally, in terms of who I follow in social media and I listen to, Warren Buffett. He's, I believe, in his 90s, very sharp as attack, articulate, still a brilliant investor. I believe he's in his 90s. So it's not like everyone of a certain age mentally deteriorates at the same rate. But it's one of those issues where I can't help but notice the people in government, they're getting older and older, and they're certainly not getting any wiser. Now, because both of the main candidates are older, do you think Vivek and maybe DeSantis will use this as a campaign shtick? Would this be something good to highlight since I don't know how many chin-ups DeSantis could do? I venture to say oh, he's former military. Nine? But he is certainly younger. I mean, compared to the competition, DeSantis is a young sprung, you know, ready to go. Do you think those two gentlemen will highlight that in their campaigns? Because more and more Americans are concerned about the age of all the candidates. Specifically, Biden and more and more people are starting to be concerned about Trump. While Trump is still articulate, it's one of those issues where he's also getting up there in age. So it's a competitive advantage. And it'll be interesting. To, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if someone called out as being pejorative or being low class, pointing out that some people can't even form sentences. But it is a valid concern. I think a lot of people have. And by polling, more and more people are concerned about it. So I think it would be a Depending on how they frame it, it might be a good move on the political chessboard because it does highlight something that is of their advantage. As long as it's done tastefully, although unfortunately, kind of pessimistic, negative advertising does work in politics. I'm not a fan of it, but statistically, you know, we look at the studies, people are influenced more by those ads and happy ads. Kind of like the news, if you turn on CNN or Fox, they usually talk about, you know, terrible things because people will click it more, it's a little bit more viral. 
But it'll be interesting to see. Let me know. Do you think it may be a good idea for Vivek as well as DeSantis to highlight that in their campaigns going forward? It'll be interesting to see, but it, as I would say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have California suing the largest oil companies, biting the hand that feeds. Granted, it's feeding them soy because it's California, so who would really want to eat it? But nevertheless, some of the biggest companies that contribute to their economy and their energy grid, they're going to sue them. Yet, bit, reason number 1,998,875,424 reason that it's difficult to do business in California, the lawsuits and the state itself, as well as the rules, taxes, regulation, that are probably thicker than most U.S. dictionaries. Now, it looks like the specific lawsuit is for, quote, allegedly deceiving the public for decades about the possible, about the dangers posed by fossil fuels and for billions in damages resulting in climate catastrophes, unquote. How are they going to prove that? That's, that's going to be a tough one. Granted, they're controlling the courts, and not all the courts in California, but many of them are left, most of them are left-leaning. But, again, I don't know. I'd love to see the actual case studies or the actual statistics on how they're going to prove that. And also, it looks like they're deceiving them for decades. They, the suit specifically accuses Shell, Exxon, and BP as well as a few others, of misleading the public about the efforts to reduce emissions, even as they earned record-breaking profits. The complaint also seeks the creation of a fund to pay for the climate-related mitigation and damages, as the state claims it spent billions of dollars paying for climate disasters. What? Hmm. Ah, I forgot. It's California, one of the most hypocritical places on the planet. Can't help but notice, they... They certainly profited a lot from these oil companies throughout the years. Many of them have offices there. Also, Gavin Newsom specifically, one of the biggest hypocrites of all time, he actually gave out record number of fracking permits. Specifically, he gave, looks like he gave out 12 permits to a company by the name of Era Energy, A-E-R-A, which is a joint venture owned by both ExxonMobil as well as Shell. But you also have Era also receiving 24 permits from the California Geological Energy Management Division. So, if they're so evil and bad, why are you allowing them to? Why are you profiting off of them? Why are you allowing them to operate in your state? Because they're desperate for capital. California has been bankrupt for years. Now, thanks to other states bailing them out, it looks like during COVID they actually had a surplus because you know all the money that we printed. But I can't think of another good. I can't think of a better reason to move your headquarters out there if you're an oil company right now. It's going to get to the point where they can't exist. And a lot of people are pointing the correlations or comes with some, a little bit of the similarities between this as well as the tobacco companies where they were sued into oblivion. And they had a diversified, they actually had something diversifying into a myriad of other products, including, oddly enough, an oil shipping company and beer. There's a lot of unusual years in the tobacco industry when they had to pivot from their core competencies. Now, interestingly enough, I don't, know if they're, I don't know if they're just going to sell and try to pay this to go away from the oil company perspective. But, again, California also needs this. They need fossil fuels. California consistently has rolling blackouts because they don't produce enough energy. They're so utterly inept. They have all these time brownouts where 
they, they want everyone to have an EV car. By law, they banned gas lawnmowers, leaf blowers, snowmobiles, not snowmobiles, uh, snowplows. Pretty much they want to ban all gas products. And by 20, that's by 2030. And by 2035, I believe, California actually wants to ban the sale of new cars that are gas powered. They can't support their current infrastructure, but perhaps they just want a virtue signal. They want to ban it tomorrow or seemingly tomorrow as with automotive companies, fiscal quarters seem to go like that. And they need a lot, the amount of logistics they're going to have to go into actually pivoting to meet that demand is going to be huge. It's going to take years. Now, it'll be interesting to see if that law stands as the federal government, actually the House of Representatives more accurately, they recently passed legislation to make that illegal to try to protect customers' choice and consumers' choice. But I mean, right now, California is begging you, don't charge your electric car tonight because we can't support the power. And they're not going to embrace nuclear anytime soon because they're not prudent enough to do that, which is the cleanest form of energy that we currently have today. But they want to get rid of all these oil companies. So let me know, how is California going to solve their energy issue? I just thought of it. This is perhaps why they're taxing the citizens to death and the businesses to death, as well as allowing crime to run rapid. So many people are leaving the state of California, going to the great places like Florida and Texas, that there will eventually be so few people, their energy grid can meet the demand. That perhaps is their plan all along. They don't have to worry about the solar panels not supplying enough energy, the windmills not being efficient enough. They, there's just only going to be 12 people left. In which case, the energy demands are much, much smaller. And I'm only 18.5% kidding. Let me know in the comments. Do you think these companies will further remove themselves from the state? It is one of the largest, most populous states. So I don't know what the ROI is going to look like in terms of this fine. Is this fine going to be greater than their profit from that state? It'll be interesting to see. But as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have a gas generator recall because it turns out it can burn and start fires. Not ideal. It looks like the specific companies by the name of Generac Power Systems and it announced a recall of 64,000 portable generators because of the malfunction that could result in injuries. Now, thankfully, it looks like this is not lethal yet. No one has met their demise because of this particular product recall. So that's the good news. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like three specific individuals have received severe burns um, thus far in terms of reports. Now, in terms of why this is happening, they go on to say, quote, the recall generator's fuel tank can fail to vent adequately from the full rollover valve, causing the gas tank to build up excess pressure and expel fuel when opened, posing fire and burn hazards, unquote. Now, they continue to say that the recall includes portable generator types. And geez, Louise, these are uninspiring. Their marketing department is lacking to say the least. I mean, if I want to buy, buy a generator, I'm not inspired by this name. But nevertheless, the names of the recalled units are the, the GP15000, so maybe the GP15000E as an elephant, and the GP17500E, with various model numbers that can be found on Generic's website. And it looks like the products are sold from April 2022 all the way to June 2023. And they cost between $3,300 and $3,650. So that might be a good way to rack your memory. If you spent a copious, a pretty good amount on a generator, you might need to take a look at the serial number or the model number more accurately and see if it was actually affected by this. 
Now, it looks like Generac has continued to say, quote, that they've gotten reports of at least 27 incidents of the recall generators overheating and pressurizing or expelling fuel when opened. So it looks like it is a voluntary recall in the fact that they're not being forced to by a government entity at this time. So in my opinion, they don't look as bad as they could, but still not a great recall. And especially because this is a, it's a very life-saving product in terms of you're using a generator when there's usually a natural disaster in your state or in California, the government tells you you're not allowed to charge your smart car at your home because they have rolling brownouts. So you have a gas generator, which subsequently they're banning in California by, I believe by 2030, best of luck. But these things are supposed to be life dependent items. So to have a recall, that's, that's really not a good thing for your brand. And that certainly is the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in. Again, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also get that free flamethrower with every September purchase. Go to topictechnologies.com to learn a little bit more. Also, don't forget to take the time to like and comment. The feedback is greatly appreciated as we make the show better and better together. And also, and lastly, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe, fight the good fight.